This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, hope you've enjoyed the book of 1 Peter so far. Um, we just got started in chapter 2 last time I was with you. Um, and there's been a little bit of a distance between the last time and this time. And because I want to stay in continuity uh, a lot of time, and it, I, I like to remind uh, everybody of where we've been. Um, remember, the book of First Peter, and just like all of the letters in the New Testament, have uh, basically two different um, sections. They're divided out differently. Sometimes... Oh, the whole, like in Romans, it seems like all of chapters 1 through 11 are all what's called the indicative, which what, that's just a fancy word to say, this is what God has done in Christ for us. And then at, from 12 on in, in the book of Romans, it's imperative. Um, imperative is the commands. Because of what God has done, this is what we're to do. This is how we're to live. And in 1 Peter... Uh, it's no different. However, um, he kind of mixes in some indicative with imperative that, that, that this is what God has done and this is what we are to do. Um, we saw that in the beginning of chapter 1, he was saying, this is what God has done. And what has He done? He's caused us to be born again. He's caused us uh, to have a living hope that uh, will never disappoint, will never fade, will, will, uh, is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's a future that is, that is waiting for us. And He holds us by His hand. And on the basis of what He has done for us in Christ, then we are to do these other things. Not in order to get our being born again, but because we've been born again, we are to be holy. We're to live in the fear of the Lord. We're to love one another earnestly from the heart. Um, all of those things are the things we are to do. Um, and uh, um, we're to love one another, remember, because we've been born again of imperishable seed. And last week we said... Uh, we're to put away the old desires and cravings that we had in the, not last week, but the last time I was here. Uh, put away the old desires and the old cravings, but now instead we're to long for the milk of the Word, right? And so all of that was um, commands. This is how we are to live. This is what, what affections we ought to feel. All of those things because of what God has done. And now we're back in verses 4 through um, 4 through 10, we're going to look at this morning, and this is more of what God has done. Uh, we can look at them as more reasons to praise Him, right? Um, what has God done in Christ for us? So let's look beginning in verse 4 as we uh, continue First Peter. As you come to Him, a living stone... Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it tells us who you are, what you have done, and who we are because of what you've done. Lord, open our eyes. And help us, Lord, to receive and to, to believe what it is that your word says about us as believers. Help us, Lord, to be sustained, to have the strength to, to make it through each day because uh, of our continually being reminded of the work of Christ for us. Father, we love you. Help me this morning. Give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins, as you come to him. So, there's a couple of things here. One, it's assuming the people he's speaking to are people who've come to him. So he's speaking about believers here. The things that he's talking about are things that are true for believers. Um, So whenever he says we're a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, and all of those things, whenever he says that he's brought us from darkness into light, he's talking about what he has done for believers, the ones who have come to him. And so as I begin this, the one I mean, I said this is mostly indicative. This is mostly saying what God has done for us in Jesus, but... There's one question about what we might do. Have you come to Him? I'm not going to wait till the ending to get to the invitation part, right? (laughs) As you come to Him, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you come to Him? Well, if you have come to Him, this is what the Lord says about what He's done for us and what we are to be. As you come to Him. Now, who's the Him? Who's the Him? Well, we were just talking in the last passage, uh, the, the previous verse, the, the antecedent, you know, that, that, that word that the pronoun Him come, refers to, I think is in the last sentence. When we look back to the last passage that I preached from, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, we ended with that. If you've tasted the Lord of good, the Lord is who Him is here. 
Uh, if you come to Him, as you come to the Lord who, t- who, has, has, who tastes good, right? Um, and by taste, I mean the experience of knowing Him is, is, uh, is, is and his experience. Like, it's not just a head knowledge, but it's, it's the way you taste a nice juicy peach, right? <laughs> so, as you come to Him, as you come to the Lord... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Wait a minute. I thought you said that this was the Lord as you come to Him. But then it describes something about Him. It says, a living stone rejected by men. Well, who was rejected by men? It was Jesus. Jesus was the one who was rejected by men. So it's saying here, it's equivocate, it's saying that Jesus is Lord, right? The Lord is the one who we have come to, and this Lord has been rejected by men. It's Jesus. Jesus was, so Jesus is Lord. If you ever talk to someone who believes that Jesus is not really truly God, if you believe uh, Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses would believe that they they would hold to Jesus being a, a uh, the highest created being, but not God Himself. Well, here we have in Scripture a place you can take them to, right? The, the Old Testament was talking about the Lord, Yahweh, the, 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 the God who created heavens and earth and the earth. Um, and here it's saying the same thing about the Lord as he's, as he's talking about Jesus, the one who was rejected by men, equating the two together. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And here we're also reminded, Jesus was rejected by men. He, he, lived a sinless human, he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. He never sinned against God. He, he, he healed. He did all kinds of wonderful things. And yet, He was rejected. This passage here equates us with our Lord. It it puts us together because it calls Him a living stone and that says we are also living stones. And so here, there's something that's true about Jesus' life and experience that's true about us in our experience. Jesus was rejected by men and believers. Oftentimes we are rejected by men. Jesus said that if, you, if they hated him, they would hate us as well. A servant is not greater than his master. He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And when we feel the effects of being rejected by men, we need to remember, just like Jesus, he was chosen and precious in God's eyes. And when we remember, when we feel the effects of being rejected by men, God sees us. God sees us as chosen. Remember back in uh, the very first 
a couple of verses of the book of the book. It says you know, Peter was writing to the elect aliens, the elect uh, um, strangers, foreigners, the elect, uh, and and in that. We're reminded that we're chosen. God chose us. He didn't save us by accident. God doesn't do anything by accident. He did it on purpose, right? And if God did, us on pur- did it on purpose, if He saved us on purpose, then He chose us, right? So, just as it says that Jesus was chosen, so are we. When we experience the pain of being rejected, we can be reminded that we have been chosen by God and we're precious to Him. He loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us. That's how precious that we are to Him. Jesus is the most precious and He gave the most precious thing in order to save us. As you come to Him, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is why I say this is about not about what we should do, because the the text here is saying we are being built up as a spiritual house. This is a statement of fact. Not a command that we're to be. If we are believers, um, he's, he's, he's transitioned here from a metaphor of talking about Jesus as a living stone to talking about believers as a living stone. We are, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So each of us believers, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the, he's the rock, the foundation uh, that the, the, the building is being built upon. And we as believers are like stones in this house that are being built all upon Jesus Himself. Saying, this is what we are. Um, One of the things this points to is the fact that being a follower of Jesus is a corporate thing. It is not something we do off by ourselves. It is not something we do just our individual just me and Jesus in the Bible, you know. But it's something we do in community. It's something we do together because God is placing us together in a spiritual house as living stones together. As you come to Him, well, let me see. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And Jesus said of Himself, remember, uh, in His life, he said, you tear this temple down. And he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He said, you tear this t- temple down and I'll build it in three days. Or raise it up in three days. Right? And people didn't understand him. They, were, they thought that he was talking about the actual physical temple. But he was talking about himself. Well, he is no longer present. He has ascended to heaven. And now his temple here on earth is believers. Right? And the Bible talks about that in both Corporate and individual dimensions. Uh, we, 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 you know, it, our bodies are the temple of God, and because of that, we are to treat our bodies um, with respect and dignity. We're not supposed to, to do harmful things to our own bodies. 
And, we're, and, and, and because we're the temple of God, that's, that's one reason why Paul says we're to abstain from sexual immorality because it defiles the very temple of God. But here, it's speaking not in that individual sense, but in the corporate sense. God indwells His people as we gather together. The corporate dimension. We are being together built up into a spiritual house, to a temple um, for Jesus. To be... Why is He doing this? There's a purpose that follows here. Why is He gathering His people together and placing them in the church together to be a spiritual house? To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First of all, he, he says that he's doing this so that we would be a holy priesthood. Now, what is a priesthood? A priesthood uh, in the Old Testament, they were the people who stood uh, between God and man, right? They were the people who offered the sacrifices and they were, they were the ones who, who, who offered a, a mediating function between God and man. And we don't do that the way the Old Testament priests did, right? Um, as believers, we believe in the priesthood of believers, right? I believe that's something we share in common. Uh, I'm a Baptist. You guys are brethren. Uh, and, and that's something I think that is very, very, very precious to both of our traditions, um, we believe in the priesthood of believers, that each believer and, and believers corporately together, we have a function as priests. We don't have to have an intermediary that, that, uh, has, that we have to go to and confess our sins. That go, then, then, you know, he, we go directly before God. We can, we can come to But also in this priestly function, we are pleading with those who are unbelievers to come to Him and be reconciled. That's one of our priestly functions. It's evangelism. We, we share the Gospel with others, pleading with them to come to know Jesus, the sacrifice that was made upon the cross. Um, and in that, we are, we are being priests to the world. And to offer spiritual sacrifices. These are not animal sacrifices like in the Old Testament. You know, he says we offer spiritual sacrifices. He talks about a contrast. In the old days, in the Old Testament, they had to offer, um, you know, lambs or calves or bulls or all kinds of different animals. Uh, the, the temple must have smelled like a slaughterhouse. But Jesus was our once for all sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews uses similar language. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us we are to... No, it's not Hebrews. Is it? I think it's Romans. Romans chapter 12. That's what I was talking about before. Romans chapter 12 says uh, we're to... Um, um, Offer ourselves as living sacrifices, right? Living sacrifices. Um, so uh, our uh, dying to ourselves and living for Jesus alone, that is one way we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that through Jesus Christ is also important, right? 
all of our efforts, all of our works don't amount to anything apart from coming through Jesus Christ. If it were not for the death of Jesus on the cross, if it were not for uh, His um, work in saving us and causing us to be born again, and all of those things, if it were not for that, all of our efforts of, of being spiritual are just more wickedness. But when we have come to Jesus, when we have come to God through Jesus Christ, when we, when we offer these sacrifices, when we um, come to Him, it must be through Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can come to Him and our sacrifices can be acceptable to God. And He says, He gives a basis. He points back to the Old Testament Scripture. Verse 6 For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. This is the passage that uh, Tom read from, from Isaiah chapter 28. Um, In that that passage, he was saying, one of these days he is going to lay in Zion a stone, and that stone that he was prophesying about was Jesus, and that has come to pass. Jesus was the cornerstone that was chosen and precious, and... Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The basis on which Peter is making this analogy about Jesus being the living stone and about how we are like living stones being called together, is the, the basis for that is the Old Testament passage that he was talking about. And we're also reminded here, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Whoever trusts in Jesus will not be put to shame. And so we have so many things that we could be ashamed about. When we look at our sin, when we look at our brokenness, the things that we have done, each one of us, um, if, if we were to, to put a video camera on our thought life and, and go through just one month, maybe even just one week, and then we were to come back here the next week and play everything that we thought on the wall, and everyone could see it, we would run from this room. Not wanting anybody to see us anymore. Um, There's a lot of things that we could be ashamed of, but if we believe in Jesus, if we've trusted in Him, He has taken away our shame. He has taken it on Himself. When He died on the cross... Naked, with people walk, mocking him and beating and spitting, he took upon himself the shame that we deserved. So when we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. And so it says, The honor is for you who believe. The word honor there. Is, uh, has the idea of vindication in it. Though we, it, as we live in this hostile world and people hurl insults at us and people say, oh, you, you Christians are the most horrible people, right? We will be vindicated one day. 
The honor is for you who believe. We will be vindicated. When He comes one day, on that glorious day when He returns, we'll have honor. But for those who do not believe, for those who in this life are the ones who hurl insult and accusation against us for our following Jesus, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The cross was a scandal in the ancient world, in the, among the Greeks and the Romans, and it's a scandal today. Paul said that the gospel is foolishness to those who were perishing. But to us, it's the wisdom of God. And today, people just thinking about it, I mean, how in the world could a guy dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have anything to do with my eternal destination? Right? It seems foolishness to the world. Yet, for us, it is the wisdom of God. The world stumbles over this. Unbelievers stumble over this. And the text here tells us they stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. Now, two things here. They stumble because they disobey the Word. First off, disobeying the Word is they stumble because they didn't believe it. This seems a little strange, maybe. They, we would almost think it should be they didn't believe it because they stumbled over it. But it's switched around, isn't it? They stumble because they disbelieved. They, they, they didn't obey the Word. They, they were unbelieving. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They, 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 they didn't believe. And so when they came up to see what Jesus had done, they stumbled over it. And it says, as they were destined to do. And I think there's two senses in which this is the case. One, I think it's, also, it's talking about the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus. They were destined to do this. It was God's plan that the Son of God would go to the cross and be crucified by wicked men. And uh, though, um, though this was done by wicked men, as Peter said in the sermon on, in Acts chapter 2, um, um, it was also God's plan from the foundation of the world. So they were destined to do this. And at the same time, and I don't want to push this too far, but the unbelieving world, in the sense, in a sense, they were destined to that. Uh, I think, as I've talked about before, we are saved not because of something we decided, but because God chose us. And the corollary to that is, if we believe that God saved us because He chose to do so, then there were those that He passed over. Right? I don't want to push that too far, because that makes a lot of people feel pretty uncomfortable, but I think it's here in the text. I think it's here in the text. Verse 9, But you... He's contrasting here. He, he says those who, un, who were unbelievers, they stumble because they disobey the world. But you, again, he's back to us. We were, he was first describing us as living stones who were being built up as, as a temple for God to offer spiritual sacrifices. He says you, believers, the ones who've come to him, are 
a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Those are all things that he describes about us. And one thing you might notice about all these terms, they're things that were said about Old Testament Israel, weren't they? In Exodus, God's people Israel were intended to be a holy priesthood who would proclaim the true God to the rest of the world, to all the nations, and yet they failed. They didn't do it. They weren't indwelt by the Spirit. And they say they failed at what uh, God had designed them to do. A chosen race. Well, we all talk about, well, God's chosen people are the Jews, right? But here, it's not saying that the Jews are a chosen race. It's saying we believers are a chosen race. We believers, all of us believers are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have a king. Jesus is our king, the kingdom of God. We are members of the kingdom of God who are a part of this holy nation, this nation that's set apart, and our nation doesn't have borders. (laughs) And I'm not making a political statement there. Our nation, it it goes beyond borders. There are believers who, who follow the same king in every nation under earth, in southern Sudan, here in the United States, in Europe, in Africa, in every place under the world. We are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we are all of these things for a purpose that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's two parts here. First off, what has God done for us? We were in darkness and he's brought us into the light. We were blind, but now we see. We were lost, but now we're found. He He has brought us from darkness into light. And so... We, he has done all these things for us so that we would proclaim His excellencies. Why has God done this for us? So that we would proclaim, so that He would be worshipped. This is, this is fulfilled in two ways. One, it's when we gather together to worship Him. When we sing His praises, we are fulfilling this very thing. We are proclaiming His excellencies. And also, when we evangelize, when we share the Gospel with others, we are proclaiming the excellencies of what what He's done for me, He can do for you too. Right? He says then, once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. I'm sorry. Now you are God's people. I'm trying to stick to the way I have it written here. And I kind of slip back into the way I've learned it in the past. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are brothers and sisters of family that have been adopted by God. When we used to be not a people. The, the, the believers, you know, I know right here, it, 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 it doesn't show quite as evident as, as what it is worldwide. Because right here, we have a lot in common. 
And in fact, you guys have a lot in common more than even me because you're all related, (laughs) right? But church worldwide thinking in that dimension, you know, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we're all together a people. A people, God's precious people for His own possession. Once we were not a people, once we were lost, we were... We were, there was nothing that bound us together as a people. But as, as we come to Him, He's brought us together and made us a people. Once we had not received mercy, once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but He's changed us and He's given us mercy we didn't deserve. There's one more thing about the, that verse that, that stands out to me, and it may not be really obvious to, to everyone, but the word, not my people. Once you were not a people. Have you, have you heard that phrase in the Bible, not my people? Hosea. Hosea was the prophet who, he was God's prophet, and God told him to go and marry a prostitute. And she was unfaithful to him. But he, there were two children that were born. One was named Loami, which means not my people. And the other one was Lo Ruchama, which means no compassion or no mercy. So whenever I read this text, I can't help but make the connection to, to the Hosea passage. Once we were Loami, once we were not my people, once we were lo ruchama, we were we had received no mercy. Once we were like the illegitimate children of a prostitute, and now we have been adopted by God as sons and daughters. Now we have have uh, become God's people. Now we have received mercy. And all of this should be a cause for us to praise Him, right? As I said, these verses that we've looked at today, they're talking about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is not a law message. This is not telling us how we are to live because of what Jesus has done. No, this is telling us what He has done. What the objective facts are about what He has done for us. He has brought people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together into one family. He is building us up as a house, a spiritual house. And our mission, our objective is to proclaim His excellencies in worship and in evangelism because we have experienced His grace and mercy which brought us from darkness to light, brought us from being illegitimate children to being the people of God. Let's praise Him for what He's done. Let's praise Him. And that should give us strength and fortitude to be able to go out and live in the world the way that Peter tells us to do. (laughs) 